Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. We're finishing Colossians tonight. Do you realize how many months it has taken us to get through four chapters in the Bible? But, you know, uh, we've seen a lot of great things from these few pages of Scripture called the letter of Paul to the Colossians. And in walking slowly through these 95 verses, that's what it's made up of, we've gotten quite an education. I was thinking about this book, and it's such a powerful book. There's so much in it that the Apostle Paul was able to capture through the revelation that God gave him. Uh, One of the things that it is about, it really is about the effects of bad theology on God's people uh, when they listen to men rather than to God. It's a letter of instruction regarding what to believe, what, what is true, what, what not to believe as a Christian. And, uh, you know, every book of the Bible touches on that somewhat, especially in Paul's letters. But um, this one is written for the specific purpose of uh, addressing false teaching and that were coming into the church there at Colossae or trying to infiltrate the church. Uh, we've looked at Paul's, uh, his joyful response to his, his man Epaphras, uh, who came back and gave a report on the church down how things were going. Colossae is a church uh, that Paul never saw. He never met them face to face, as also the church in Rome. Um, and But he was so excited to hear about the salvation that they had experienced and that their faith is being heard around the world. And, you know, we, we through chapter 1, we uh, saw that um, we were reminded of the nature of our salvation and that it is all the result of the amazing grace of God uh, toward us. It's God who has qualified us to share uh, in the inheritance of the saints and the light. I love that, that phrase, the inheritance of the saints and the light. Um, he goes on to explain the greatness and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I've told you before, Ephesians and, and Colossians are very much alike, but Ephesians talks about the glory of the church, and Colossians talks about the glory of Christ, the supremacy and the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how he miraculously works wonders in the earth. It says that in Jesus, all the the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily and, and is pleased to dwell there. It's by means of Christ's death that now we are reconciled to God. His wrath against us was removed. Our sins are forgiven. We're made holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. Thank God. He tells us that how by the grace of God uh, that the work of Christ has made, been made known to the Gentiles. Aren't you grateful for that, Gentiles? And that salvation in Him has been extended to the nations beyond uh, the borders and beyond the people of Israel. And so now His grace has come to all of us. He reminds us that we were dead in sin, and God by His love chose to make us alive in Christ Jesus. And then He also warns us about those who seek to undo what we have learned, what we know of the grace of God. Those who try to come in and deceive us with their craftiness making our salvation dependent upon rituals and laws. In chapter 3, Paul encourages us to live godly lives. Remember the last two chapters are about how to live this 
walk. The first two are about our position in Christ. And then the next two are about our practice as Christians. To, to stop living like we had done before we knew Christ. And He tells us to put our old sinful behaviors behind us and to now we belong to God and now we're chosen of Him and, 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 uh, and we're holy and not having... Uh, now that we've had all of our sins forgiven, now we are to put on certain things. Remember all those times it says put on. Put on compassion, put on kindness, put on humility and meekness and patience. Um, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive them. And as the Lord has forgiven us, so we need to forgive others. And this is how uh, we put all put on love, ultimately bond of peace. And, and this is how we, the children of God, are to live our lives and to live together as the children of God and as the church of the living God. And then he talks about how we live in our homes, the role of the wife, the role of the husband, the role of the father, the role of the children, the role of those who work uh, for an employer and how the employer should treat his employees. The Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred into us into the heavenly kingdom of His Son. Aren't you grateful today that now you've been set free from the shackles of guilt and shame and condemnation that come with sin in Jesus Christ? In Him we have no fear of condemnation all the way up till Judgment Day when John said that in this is love that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Amen. And God has done for us for believers, what we could never do for ourselves, and that is to save ourselves. He's done it for all mankind, but believers are the ones who actually appropriate that by faith. You know, it's, that, you know, after knowing what all he's done, is it really a great thing for us to live for him? Is it really that difficult to live for Christ, knowing that he's purchased us with his own blood? Um, and, and not only that, he died for us, and now he's living for us in heaven, making intercession for us. Thank you, Lord. Why would we not want to serve such a master as the Lord Jesus? Let's look at the Apostle Paul's closing words in this great book. And we're going to begin reading in chapter 4 and verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7. Tychicus. Everybody say Tychicus. It's a good name, isn't it? A beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, let's all say Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. With Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. So we see these three guys that he just mentioned are Jews. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect or mature and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in, who, and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. 
Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in her, his, it actually should be her, house. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, that's another great name, let's make a friend of Archippus. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. It's believed that Archippus at this time has actually taken over as pastor of the church there in Colossae. This salutation with my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Anytime that we come to a passage of Scripture where there are a lot of names and places, as we did this with our staff a couple of staff meetings ago, and we went through Nehemiah chapter 3, right? Was it 3? Nehemiah chapter 3. And you have to read that very slowly and because uh, there are some crazy names in there. But anytime we come across passages like this, we kind of tend to put our minds in neutral, you know, by thinking this isn't really all that important, but it's very important. Uh, Part of the reason is because most of the time we're not sure how to pronounce those names or we don't even know where those places are. So um, we're tempted to kind of mumble through the verses and just move on to more important stuff. But I want to call our attention to this passage tonight, chapter 4, 7 through 18 that we just read. These 11 verses... May I remind you that they were inspired by the Spirit of God, and they are just as much the words of God and just as inspired as Jesus' words written in red. So we should be careful not to overlook uh, these passages or consider them to be somewhat inferior to other passages of Scripture, you know, the ones that we love. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hmm? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. We don't usually memorize verses like these that we just read. We don't usually put them in a book for you to look over and quote. But what is here? That's my question. What is here in these verses um, that God would have us to know? Hmm. So I'm glad you came tonight because we're going to know some things. There are a few things you know, initially, right on the surface, first of all, like those passages in the Gospels which contain the, the genealogies of the Lord Jesus. How many of you read those? Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 3. Um, and there are people listed whose names are not easily recognized there. Uh, there are people listed whose names that you do know, um, David, Abraham, you know, people like that. But the point is that even if we have no idea who these people are, God knows who they are. And he saw fit that their names got written in the book. And that's really what matters, isn't it? You know, you can walk through a cemetery and see the names of hundreds of people who have once lived and now are dead and buried and really have been totally forgotten. Uh, They are only names on headstones to you. And they remain somewhat of a mystery to us because nothing is known about them, but God knows them. As a matter of fact, when Heather and I uh, went with David and Virginie to France and we went to Omaha Beach uh, there in Normandy and we walked through the grave uh, site of so many of our fallen soldiers there, U.S. soldiers, hundreds of them, 
I mean, just lined with crosses. And I wanted to read as many of them as I could. I felt like I needed to honor this moment and, and just try to see. And I was saying them out loud as I'm going by them, just saying their names out loud. Because I know that they were important. They were especially important to our country. They were important to France, important to that war. And these average age is 20 years old. These guys are giving up their whole future um, for the sake and the cause of freedom. And and as as we're going through and we're just reading these names, and um, every once in a while we'd come across one of those crosses with the inscription, Here lies in honored glory a comrade in arms known but to God. Here in these verses are the names of a number of people who were companions of Paul. Some of their names are not familiar to us, but they are Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, cousin of Barnabas, Justus, Epaphras, Luke, Demas, Nympha, and Archippus. Mark and Luke stand out immediately, don't they? We know those names because of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, The details about the others, though, are a bit sketchy until we begin to dig. The first man mentioned here is Tychicus, and he's mentioned five times in the New Testament, uh, four times by Paul and once in the book of Acts. Uh, His name literally means chance or um, lucky or fortunate. That's probably more how they understood it to mean fortunate. So he's sending this man to Colossae so that he can inform them regarding the things that have happened to Paul. Now notice that nothing about Colossians is about Paul, is it? He didn't put his, his own story in there. He's here to give the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's written to them about him and salvation and sound doctrine and holy living, and he hasn't written about himself at all. So this is not a ministry report on the work of Paul. Tychicus would bring that report when he showed up with this letter. And uh, I, I love the words that Paul uses to describe Tychicus. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. That's the kind of guy you want working with you in the ministry. Someone you can be close to, um, who is loved as a brother in the Lord, someone who is a faithful, dependable, reliable, and trustworthy servant. Uh, The word uh, translated minister is the word from which we get deacon, and it, it means one who serves, a servant. Then Paul refers to Tychicus as a fellow servant, um, but, but uh, this word in the Greek, the word servant, is a little stronger. It actually is slave. Um, he is a fellow slave, and Paul and Tychicus are very much alike in this relationship, in their relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the master. Amen. And, and they're his fellow slaves with the desire to do his bidding. I love this. Free slaves. Slaves to righteousness. Beloved brother, faithful servant, fellow slave. I'll take any of those. Any of those that, if any of those describe me, I would be grateful to God. In Ephesians 6, we read that Paul was sending Tychicus to them, that church in Ephesus. And in Titus, Paul plans to send either a man named Artemis or Tychicus uh, to them. In 2 Timothy, he says, Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. Um, so he was a man that Paul obviously could trust, and so Paul had him going all over the place. He had him going here and there, and, 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 and so he, Paul could depend on him to do this hard work of traveling. Um, you know, sometimes it's difficult for us to deal with a 20-minute delay in a flight. 
But, but Tychicus, we're talking like this could have taken him a month to get to some of the places that Paul was sending him to. This is, travel was quite a bit difficult back then. And we, uh, this is the kind of person that you want serving alongside you in ministry. This is somebody Paul really admonished and admired. The second person mentioned here in the text is Onesimus. He is uh, going to be traveling with Tychicus back to Colossae. So Paul's sending these two men. He's going back actually to where he ran away from. This is where Onesimus is from, and, and uh, we, he was a slave of a man who lived there by the name of Philemon. Now, we get more details about Onesimus in that one letter, that personal letter from Paul to Philemon. And uh, so I want you to see what Paul says about Onesimus to Philemon in Philemon 1.8. Let's bring that up. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting speaking to Philemon. Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. Verse 12, I am sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart. Somehow, in the providence of God, this slave who had escaped from his master could not escape from the call of God. He ran from Philemon and ran right into Paul. And there in Rome, who not only told him of salvation through Christ, but who also now is sending him back where he belonged. In the meantime, Paul had taken Onesimus uh, into his care and began to train him in ministry. And Paul calls him my very heart, my son. And he loved this young man, and so now he's sending him home to his master with this letter, pleading for his master to be merciful to him. Now, according to one document that has been found uh, in recent years, one of the early church fathers by the name of Ignatius uh, wrote about Onesimus. And writing to the church of Ephesus about 40 years or so after Paul actually wrote to Philemon, Ignatius makes reference to a certain Onesimus uh, who is identified as the overseer or bishop of the church at Ephesus. So it's interesting to note that Onesimus very well could have been that same Onesimus who became the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Imagine that from a runaway slave to one of the prominent church leaders of his time. So there's a good chance that Philemon probably followed Paul's instructions and released Onesimus into the ministry. It's a very encouraging bit of information if we're talking about this same person because Paul tells Philemon, this young man Onesimus at one time was unprofitable. You know what Onesimus means? Profitable or useful. But now he's sending him back. Amen. The gospel has that kind of power to make useful people out of the most useless people. Aristarchus is the next one that Paul mentions here in, in Colossians, the next one on the list of comrades of Paul. And not much is known about him. He's only mentioned five times in the Bible as well, but uh, he's always with Paul and traveling with him from place to place. Here in verse 10, Paul refers to him as a fellow prisoner. Um, either he's been arrested and in prison with Paul, or, or maybe he's just there attending to Paul and his needs, always being available. He's seen in the Bible simply as a companion of Paul in the work of the gospel. There are a lot of people who serve the Lord 
in uh, ways that are not high-profile positions. Um, and I, as a pastor, highly appreciate that. <laughs> I thank you so much, those of you who serve. And, and, you know, really, there's no notice much of your work and your labor of love. But let me remind you today, God sees it. God loves you, and he sees it. We can't do what we do without you. We can't do it. This isn't, uh, being up on the stage preaching is just one part of the whole thing. Um, and I'm grateful to God for you. The, you know, the vast majority of those who serve are really in that way, kind of working in the background, uh, doing a lot of what we call the grunt work um, in order to make it possible for those who are more noticeable to do what they do. Paul's a prisoner. What could he possibly do in that situation if he didn't have these men surrounding him, serving him, and helping him uh, to con- continue in the work? And the list goes on with people like Mark. Um, so what did Mark do? Well, we know the, the story of Mark, also called John Mark. He's the nephew. Colossians says cousin, but he's actually the nephew of Barnabas. And Acts chapter 13 kind of paints him in a, in a bad light because he went on Paul and Barnabas' Barnabas's first missionary journey uh, and got homesick along the way. And he went back home to Mama, and that ticked Paul off. He did not like that Mark just left the work. So it comes time for them to go out again later on in Acts chapter 15 when you read about the great council in Jerusalem where they settled the issues, so many issues about how the Gentiles are made righteous and how they keep their righteousness and and they're not under the obligation of Judaism. And and so James writes this letter to help set set the Gentile churches free from that, saying, we didn't put that on you. Those who said that they came from us, they did not come from us. You know, they're clearing up the matters. But as, so as they get these letters to Paul and Barnabas to go take to the churches, Barnabas wants to bring Mark along, and Paul says, forget about that. No, he's not coming. As a matter of fact, I mean, they, they couldn't reconcile it. I mean, think about Barnabas and Paul's relationship is so special. Barnabas was the key man to make sure that Paul got to where he did. He was the one who went and searched him out and found him and brought him into the fellowship with the other believers. Barnabas... Uh, if it wasn't for him, Paul wouldn't have been where he was. But now here they are. They are they're, they're in contention over this boy, so much so that they split ways. And Barnabas took his nephew with him, and then Paul took Silas and went from there. Um, but now it seems that there's been restoration. I love this. And Paul says, greet Mark. If he comes, follow my instructions and welcome him. And you know what? There's been restoration and a change of heart in this young man, so much so that he eventually is moved on by the Spirit of God himself to write a gospel right along with Matthew, Luke, and John. God uses weak, frail, scared, mama's boys, failures. He uses them. He uses unlikely people to do unlikely things. Take heart when you read Mark's story. Um, God changed him and made him a blessing to the entire body of Christ through his pen. Then Paul mentions Jesus, or called justice. Justice means righteous. He was a godly man, and along with Aristarchus and Mark. So, as I said earlier, we see these three were his Jewish companions, and he says that they were a great comfort to him, as many of his other Jewish uh, companions were not. They were trying to kill him all the time. 
So it was good to have some, you know, some of his own people with him in this and uh, coming from the same culture and same background and same experiences in his suffering and chains and imprisonment, these fellow Jewish Christians were certainly a source of comfort to Paul. And then we come to Epaphras, has already been mentioned before. We've talked about Epaphras. He was an extraordinary man. Um, But one thing that stands out about him here in in these verses is his labor in prayer for the Colossians. Um, He's one, uh, as verse 12 says, he's one of you, a bondservant of Christ. He greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfectly complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for his. Apparently, Paul has heard Epaphras pray. And he says, man, this guy prays like he's a Pentecostal, like he speaks in tongues or something. And those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. So he, in other words, it says he always struggles in prayer. The, the word, the Greek word there is where we get our word agonize. He agonizes for you in prayer. He, he works hard for the sake of his brethren, laboring in prayer. Uh, some versions use the word zeal. Um, so it, it can be translated fervor or uh, zeal, and so he works zealously for you. He's zealous for your well-being. He's fervent in prayer for your sakes. And what a wonderful guy to have on your team, to have somebody that can pray like that. Then Paul tells the Colossians, and now Dr. Luke, the beloved physician, is here as well. And this man eventually would go on to write the book of Luke, as well as make a very detailed account for a man by the name of Theophilus, Uh, Luke and Acts, and the sum total of those two books make up about 25% of the New Testament. Um, Luke is a Gentile. He's a Gentile. And so he sends his greetings. And then Paul mentions a guy by the name of Demas. Demas. Demas, uh, not such a good guy. Now, in Philemon, he calls him a fellow worker. Here, he leaves that out. It's almost like that you see a progression or a digression on Demas' part. Um, I think Paul at this point begins to kind of doubt where Demas' loyalties lie because by the time we get to 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, Demas has abandoned me, loving this world more than the work. Um, So that's not a guy that you really want around, but it happens. Jesus had Judas, you know. I'm not going to name any names from this pulpit. that maybe you're thinking of. <laughs> Verse 15 says, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha, the churches in her house. I love that. Paul's always talking about women in ministry, which just, which just goes against so many people's belief system about women in ministry. I just love it. Such, it's so in your face. Um, if I remember right, it said your sons and your daughters would prophesy in the last days. How did, how did we miss that? How did we miss that? I, I don't get it. So think about this. He, he uses many wonderful words to describe his team, his, his guys, beloved, faithful, hardworking, encouraging, fellow slaves, fellow prisoners. These are men God had raised up to serve for and with Paul in the gospel enterprise. They traveled with him. They worked with him. They suffered with him. They pushed on. They persevered with him. They lived with him, ministered with him, prayed with him, and no doubt some died, not necessarily with him, but in the work to continue 
the gospel going forward. And that this this here, as as a minister of the gospel, this this is somewhat of an encouragement and and a warning for me. That to never go at whatever God calls you or me to do alone. We're not called to do this alone. We've got to have fellow laborers and fellow workers. We've got to be linked up with other people because this is how the body of Christ works in the earth. Amen. I think about uh, those who had somebody with them the entire time. David had Jonathan, you know, and even when he seemed like, when he thought he was all alone, but he had him to encourage him uh, while he was being hunted by Jonathan's own father. Uh, Solomon wrote about companionship. Can we bring up, I didn't give you this one, Brooke. I'm sorry about that. Ecclesiastes, I'm I'm almost through. Chapter 7, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Look at uh, verse uh, 9. What Solomon, the wisest man who ever was, do not hasten in your, uh, no, I'm sorry. That's not right. Huh. Okay, well, never mind. Where is it says that two are better than one? Because they, no, threefold cord is not easily broken. Brian, you think you can find that, Pastor Brian? All right, Brian's looking. But even the strongest are not equipped to serve in the work of the kingdom in isolation. Hmm? Four, nine. I'm sorry. Thank you, Brooke. I don't know why I wrote four. Or seven, I mean. Ecclesiastes 4, 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Verse 10. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Verse 11. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Verse 12. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not easily or quickly broken. Discouragement and loneliness and uh, vulnerability, those things are can be very crippling. That's why the Lord has placed us into a family of believers, into a body where he's, uh, when He saves us because we need each other. Amen. That's one thing I love about our church, about you. This is your testimony to so many who come to this church, and maybe you found this as a testimony when you first came to One Cause Church that you truly found a family people who had their arms wide open to you and loved you without even knowing you, but loved you. And I love that culture here in this church. And I want to thank you for that. Keep your arms open. Amen. Keep greeting people. Keep welcoming them. Keep loving them because love covers a multitude of sins. Amen. We don't have time to be looking at each other's sin. We got our own to deal with, right? Amen. Um, but what we do need, what we do need is, is to continue to pray for our church and to, that God would continue to raise up more leaders here and, and more workers, more good and faithful fellow slaves and servants to join us in this labor for the sake of God's kingdom. And, and let's just continue to press on in His task, in His work in the earth, the thing that He's called us to. If you're here, God called you here. And if He called you here, then He called you here for a purpose. And He has something for you to contribute, some way for you to serve, some, something to give that will help this body increase that will help this body grow. We need you. We need you. And turn to somebody and tell them, we need you here. Turn to somebody else. Tell them, we need you here. 
All right, see, we're not all called to do everything, but we're all called to do our part. And when we're all doing our part, then the body's growing. The body's healthy, the body's strong. Can I get a good amen? Amen. Amen. So these things that Paul said of his companions, I, I, I pray that these be true of all of us here today, that we be found loving and faithful and hardworking and encouraging and giving our whole selves to the work of the Lord. And grant that may God grant us the will to work together to continue bringing the gospel to this place. Let me finish with this. This book in nature is centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to give you some of these descriptions of him found here, and then we'll close up. He is, according to Colossians 1, the Lord of creation. In Colossians 1 and 2, he's the author of reconciliation. In chapter 1, again, he's the foundation of the believer's hope. In chapter 1, he's the source of the power for a new life. In chapter 1 and 2, he's the redeemer and the reconciler. In 1, again, he's the embodiment of the full deity. In chapter 1, he's the head of the body, which is the church. In chapter 1 and chapter 3, he's the firstborn from the dead. Aren't you grateful for that? He's the firstborn, which means there are others going to be born from the dead. That's why we know we have a resurrection. Praise God. All those who believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins, they have a resurrection waiting for them. Amen. Praise God. Uh, Chapter 1 and 2, he's the all-sufficient Savior. And chapter 2, he is the head of all principality and power. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand together tonight. Praise God. What a great book. We'll see where we go next. Maybe get into some eschatology? Nope. I'm no expert on that. I would screw everything up with that book. I'm telling you right now. I'm just grateful that it says, Blessed is he who reads it, not blessed is he who understands it. So read it for the blessing. Leave the understanding to the experts, if there is such a thing. I haven't found one yet. Amen. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for all the jewels that we have that we have dug into and found and discovered in this book, God. These truths. This revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and his supremacy and his preeminence, God. To him be the glory by the church. To him be glory and honor and power. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. Why don't we just lift our hands and and worship him for just a moment. Worship him in the beauty of his holiness. Bless his wonderful name. He's worthy of all of our praise. He, this darling of heaven who died for our sins, who died for our sins, who endured such grief, who was forsaken for us, who became the sin center of the universe, who became a curse for us, who became poor. Hallelujah, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be free, who took it upon himself to pay the price, the wage for our sins, which was death. That he would meet that for us, that he would stand in that place for us, that he would be the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. 
and has removed them far from us, that He would bring us into a right, prosperous, blessed relationship with God. Not just God. He brought us into a family where God is our Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us so much that you're not ashamed to call us family. (laughs) You're not ashamed to call us family. Thank you for that. Thank you for loving us and thank you for dying for us. Thank you that you ascended up to heaven and you're seated next to the Father and right now you're praying for us. Right now you're making intercession for us. And Lord, we know as John says, if we sin, you are there. You are our righteous advocate speaking on our behalf, Lord. Thank you for the blood that cleanses us. Thank you for the blood that made us holy. The blood that gave us access, that gives us access to this throne called grace. Not a throne of judgment, a throne of grace. And we are, we are called by God to come boldly to that throne of grace. Why? Because of the blood. Because we're confident. Because God is confident that that blood has purified us in such a pristine way that we could come before the very throne of God with boldness. Not groveling, not begging, not screaming we're not worthy. No, we are worthy because He deemed us worthy. What were we worth? We were worth the death of God's Son. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. I saw a spring welling up just now. I saw a spring welling up. In a very dry season, I saw a spring burst through that dry ground, hard ground, and begin to flow. And the Lord wants you to know tonight, if I'm speaking to anybody specific here, and I believe I am, that you have just felt like your life has been nothing but a wilderness. The spring is here. And as, as um, the Scripture says, that now God is bringing to you times of refreshing. A renewal is happening for you now. A renewal, a rejuvenation is happening for you now. Um, Christianity has been boring to you, but that's changing tonight. It's changing tonight. He is do- he's doing something in the Spirit. And though you may not sense it or feel it right now, just understand that He sees where you've been and He knows where you are, and He loves you. He loves you and has put His purpose and His cause in your heart for you to never, ever be bored with this Christian life. All right? He's got new things. He's got exciting things. He has adventures for you. He has places for you to go. He has people for you to meet. He has new experiences starting tonight. Now, I'm telling you, let me just give you a word of admonition tonight. When you do know, when he speaks to you, and Christians, you do know how to hear God. All right? I, I'm, I'm real tired of seeing all this stuff out there, how to hear God. How, you hear God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. 
All right? That, that, that bad teaching has made us all second guess if we know how to hear God. Now, we know how to hear God. He gives us that assurance, and you know. All right? You know. You know. And the, and the more not only you listen, but you do, the clearer that voice gets to you. Many times uh, we feel like we can't hear him because we didn't do what he told us to. And so we've kind of deafened our ears to what God has said to do. And I, want, I just want to tell you tonight, he's going to say things to you that are going to push you. They're going to challenge you. They're, they're, um, they're going to stretch you. Do what he tells you to do. All right? So that spring can come up higher in your life. Those times of refreshing, you're going to begin to experience it in a greater way. I'm telling you tonight. So this is both a warning and an encouragement tonight. All right? Do what he says. Do what he says. He will bless you immensely. All right? He's not trying to hurt you. He is here to help you. He's here to give you life and give you abundance in this life. And not only that, he's here to let others see through your good works, your Father in heaven. All right? Can we all remember this? The Christian life, our, is, it's not a pri- It's just me and Jesus, we got our own thing going. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, we are a demonstration of him in the earth. We are his body in the earth. It ain't some, I'm, it's a personal thing. No, it's not. It's not only that. Amen. Amen. We have, a, we have a mission from God to get this message out to wherever we go to let this world hear this good news. Amen. All right. I hope you can receive that tonight. Father, now we bless you. We thank you, God, for your blessing on your people and they're going out just like they've been blessed and they're coming in. I declare that they are the head and not the tail above only and never beneath. First, not last victors, no longer victims. Lord, I thank you that they're blessed wherever they go, and everything their hands touch shall prosper. Thank you, Father God, that tonight when they go home and they lay down on their beds tonight, that they will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make them dwell in safety, and that they will rise in the morning with a song in their heart and praise on their lips. In Jesus' name, now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.